greet you this joyous and holy night for Christmas Eve worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. We are so glad that you are here so that together we may celebrate the miracle and the wonder of the incarnation of God come to be one of us in the form of the Christ child. At this point in our worship service, as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, I invite you to pause the service for just a moment and to go into your household to find candles that later we will light before we sing Silent Night. So if you would take the time to gather those now and matches or something with which to light the candles, uh, that would be wonderful and useful for the end of our service. Let us pray responsively our call to worship. O oh Jesus Christ and Redeemer, we greet you this evening with joy. We lift our spirits with thanksgiving for your mercies to us that your sharing of our human situation brings. We thank you for Christmas joy, for friendship renewed and for hearts warmed by the love of dear ones and the greetings of strangers. We thank you for Christian community, which has become Bethlehem for us this evening. Transform our joy into new lives as we find ourselves and each other in the new life of Christ Jesus. Amen.
us join our hearts and our voices in the Christmas prayer. Let us pray. Holy center of this most holy season, Jesus, all our stars point to your birth. All our wanderings come home to you. All our griefs and delights find a place in the stable where you chose to transform poverty and pain and loneliness and rejection. Your light shines in our lives. Your peace embraces our anger, sorrow, and loss. Your life opens us to new discovery of our most intimate selves and of our neighbors, however we may find them, as poor as shepherds, as foreign as magi, as thoughtless as innkeepers, as helpless as infants. In your humble birth, we discover your everlasting majesty and grace. We welcome you and offer you our thanks and praise in your glorious name. Amen. candles of Advent, reminding us of God's never-ending love for us. We light the center candle. It is the Christ candle. It reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world, the center of our life together, and a shining beacon of hope for all the universe. Christ is born. Praise be to God.
As we prepare to receive the words of scripture, let us pray responsively the prayer for illumination and pray together the Lord's Prayer. Christ, our teacher, you reach into our lives not through instruction, but story. Open our hearts to be attentive, that seeing we may perceive and hearing we may understand and understanding we may act upon your word. In your holy name we pray, continuing now as the Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this evening is found in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, beginning with the second verse. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast increased its joy. They rejoice before thee as with joy at the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, thou hast broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Our gospel lesson is found in the second chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the first verse. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that they had heard wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I love manger scenes, which is why I actually have four of them. I have the manger scene from my childhood. My parents purchased it their very first Christmas together after they got married. Very inexpensive. It was what they could afford. They bought it at a dime store, and it has little plastic figures and a rustic stable. I have a beautiful porcelain manger scene that was given to me by a beloved staff member at Gordonsville United Methodist Church. I have a willow tree set that I have added to over the years and which I leave out year round. And because every year since I was a child, I have watched a Charlie Brown Christmas on TV, I purchased the Christmas pageant figures uh, from the peanut set, and I enjoy those too because I love that a Charlie Brown Christmas focuses on loving the unlovable and inclusivity 
and the gospel narrative from Matthew's gospel of the birth of Jesus shared with us by Linus Van Pelt. Putting out manger scenes each year occasions recollections of manger scenes I have known and about which I have been told. Some are funny, some are scandalous, some are touching and others are instructive. I wanted to share a few with you. When I was in seminary in the late 80s, I made friends with a seasoned Episcopal priest named Harry. Harry was one of those people who just took such delight in people, and he told these wondrous stories that awakened one's imagination as one thought about the gospel narratives. He told a number, a number of stories about manger scenes, and I remember three of them. One was from his youth. It's hard to imagine Harry ever misbehaving in church, but when he was in junior high, the youth group was responsible for staging the church's Christmas pageant. He was chosen to play Joseph, and the play proceeded with all the seriousness and with all of the commitment of the players who were seeking to look as pious as possible. Then it came time for the shepherds to enter. The choir was singing, while shepherds watched their flocks by night. And those in the youth group who were playing shepherds came up the chancel steps dressed in their flannel bathrobes with towels wrapped around their heads. With his back to the congregation, one of the shepherds said in a very loud, easy-to-hear whisper to Harry, who, remember, was playing Joseph, Well, Joe, when are you going to pass out cigars? It wasn't a particularly funny, impromptu line, but... It broke the magic of the moment such that Mary and Joseph both burst into laughter. And you know how laughter is sometimes contagious. The angel standing on a chair behind them tried not to laugh, but she, she shook so hard with the effort that she actually fell off her chair. And it wasn't long before the whole cast was unable to control their snorts of laughter, even though the, the choir tried to cover it up with verses of, Silent Night and a Little Town of Bethlehem. As the pageant ended, what dawned was the realization that the youth group actors were soon going to have to face reality in the form of their parents who had been sitting in the congregation watching with horror. They wondered how they would ever show their faces in church again, and they made sure to convey every ounce of their embarrassment and anger to their teenagers and so the youth reenactment of the manger scene came to be known in that era of the congregation's history as the manger scene that led to great punishment. About 10 years later, as a young father, Harry and his wife bundled up their little children one night during Advent to take them to a living nativity on the front lawn of a local church where volunteers braved the cold to portray each of the characters in the story. And there were a few live animals too, a donkey, a few sheep, and a big brown cow. Well, everyone gathered around, a, a, a big crowd, when all of a sudden the cow moseyed slowly toward the manger, batting her sleepy big dark eyes. She bent her head toward the manger straw, 
and there saw the baby Jesus, the only character not played by a live performer but by a doll. And it was a doll that happened to be in the way of the cow's dinner. So the cow grabbed the doll in her teeth and flung it over her head out into the crowd of onlookers. A lot of people laughed, some people were horrified, but Harry thought it was just great that Jesus left the manger and found a way to be in the midst of the people. After all, he said, that's what Christmas is all about. When Harry was later the rector of a church in Huntsville, Alabama, the women of the church used to invite a group of children from a nearby children's care facility, a rehabilitation center, not a hospital, but I can't remember the details about what their challenges were, just that they were, most of them, quite ill and in wheelchairs. And so the, the ladies would invite them to a, a Christmas party at which the, the children would get to sit and watch a Christmas pageant that was done by the church's children for them. And then that was followed by Santa handing out presents, and, and then the children went back by bus to the rehabilitation facility. Well, after two years of this, one of the adults who worked with the children at the care facility suggested that perhaps they could present the pageant the following year. Well, no one could think of a reason why not, so one cold, bitter, rainy Advent day, the children came from the rehabilitation center and performed the Christmas pageant for the congregation. There were Mary and Joseph, one little black girl and one little white boy, both in wheelchairs. The angel couldn't keep her arms from flying in the air. The shepherds came on crutches. The wise men took a long time to get from the back of the sanctuary to the manger up front, maneuvering their own wheelchairs. It was almost impossible to understand the narrator, narrator because of her speech impediment, but that was okay because everyone knew the story anyway. And no one tried to help or intervene, and it was quiet at first, and there was some laughter, and sometimes there were tears. The simple truth from that manger was not denied, that we all struggle with challenges, some visible and some not. Some of us are children and some of us are adults. Some of us are black and some of us are white. Some of us are poor and some of us are rich. But we are all human beings and we are peculiarly separate while being peculiarly united. But we're all vulnerable. We're as fragile as any baby in a manger. And in that manger kind of insight, tears may be like a sacrament. Tears with smiles become the outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace at the manger scene. Whenever I think of Christmas pageants, I think about the one that was held each year at Mount Vernon United Methodist Church in Alexandria, where I served for several years. They had an elaborately staged pageant each year with choir and orchestra and dozens of people in costume. Rehearsals started in September, and no matter how long the preparation the actual play always turned into barely controlled chaos. The main reason for that is that the little children who portrayed the animals 
usually behaved exactly like those animals. The toddlers were always sheep, and we always seemed to have a big lamb collision, followed by much bleeding and tears. But on the pageant would go. At the end, many of the children were so tired they actually fell asleep around the manger. And then we sang Silent Night to close the service, watching the children sleep in heavenly peace. Also, while I was serving in Alexandria, a hurricane hit, devastating the condominium community at the foot of the hill where the church was located. The waters from the hurricane combined with the high water tide of the Potomac, and suddenly the condo community found itself under 16 feet of water, tainted with raw sewage. Many of my parishioners lived in that community and had to relocate for quite a while, even though most of them lived in units on the second or third floors because they had to wait for the power to come back on and the mold damage to be abated. People who lived in those first floor units lost everything. And because the storage units for all the condos were located in the basement, many people lost off-season clothes, recreational equipment, and the holiday decorations that they had stored there. One of my parishioners was distraught because she thought she had lost the one thing in her storage unit that really meant something to her and that couldn't be replaced. The ceramic manger scene that her sister had made for her about 20 years before. A few days later, she called to say that she had recovered it and that it was all unbroken, but she hadn't yet found the baby Jesus. And then after that, she called to tell me that she had found the baby Jesus, and then she said words that rendered me totally speechless, which doesn't happen often. In fact, she said with relief, I've got him upstairs right now, soaking in Clorox. <laughs> I had no idea what to say. At each church I serve, one of the things I love to do is to invite different members of the congregation to share the manger scene from their household on the altar, a different family providing their manger scene for each Sunday of Advent. And if they wanted to share the story of the manger scene, that they placed there, uh, that always was a wonderful thing to hear. One woman talked, for example, about how she had the manger scene from her childhood, and now she loved sharing that with her grandchildren. Once, a family who traveled widely because they were a career army family who had been stationed all over the world brought their beautiful manger scene, which was hand-carved of olive wood, they left it for me and for the, the Christian educator in a box to unpack. And so one morning we did that, pulling each figure carefully from its wrapper and placing it on the altar. First we did the main figures and then the donkey and some sheep and, and then the camels and then some more camels and then more camels. There were about 30 camels in that manger scene. Some of them were big, some of them were small, some of them were saddled, and we had no idea what we were going to do with them all. We actually stacked hymnals and boxes underneath the cloth to make hills, and, and we, 
we put the camels in long lines leading to the stable in Bethlehem. We put some of the candle camels in front of the stable and some behind with the justification that the choir needed something to look at too. And we asked the couple about it later, assuming that there was some very interesting explanation for all these camels. And the wife simply said, I like the camels. So, okay. And actually the Bible doesn't say which animals were at the scene that holy night. So 30 camels could have been there, I guess. The neat thing was that the surprise of having 30 camels made us look at the scene differently, especially the long lines of camels reminding us how long the journey was, about 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And reimagining the story made it newly alive to us. I love when families have have crashes or manger scenes that children can touch and use to tell the story. My parents used to do that. They used to unwrap one figure at a time and tell us the story and leave the baby Jesus hidden away until Christmas morning. Every year, we were sure that the baby Jesus was going to come out of the box early, and we would look and we would turn the box upside down and we would demand to know where Jesus was. And my parents would say, well, that's what Advent is about. It's a time to look for Jesus. When we were tiny, we didn't understand, thinking that we needed to look for Jesus like we looked for a lost sock. Later, we understood and went off to look for Jesus in those things that are beautifully and simply human, in places where love is shared and hope is passionately expressed and compassion meets need. Children are often puzzled by this season. A lot of them are very focused on on gifts and don't really understand that we give gifts just because we are celebrating the gift that God gave us. And out of our joy, we too want to give. My nephew used to spend a lot of time at my house, and when he was really tiny, he really, really wanted to open the gifts early. And because I am usually ready early, with all of my gifts purchased and and wrapped by early November, usually. Um, He'd been asking for a long time. He he wanted to open those gifts before Thanksgiving, and and I would explain that it wasn't Jesus' birthday yet, so we had to wait. Well, he didn't like this answer, and so he uh, sought out my best friend, who at the time was a police lieutenant, to ask him if he could open his gifts right now because Aunt Elizabeth says no. Well, I'm really glad that my best friend provided backup and uh, and said no as well. Um, But he also asked Lieutenant Roberts if he'd ever arrested Santa Claus for sneaking into his house in the middle of the night. And Lieutenant Roberts, wise in all things, replied that he always fell asleep and missed Santa when he came, so... He couldn't even bring him in for questioning. Children being puzzled or not liking the waiting of Advent is not unlike the feelings of the main characters in the story who certainly puzzled and pondered and wondered what to do with the waiting time before the birth. Joseph made plans that were confounded by an angel in a dream he had. Mary, when told by the angel Gabriel that she was to bear a son, asked, 
how can this be? And after his birth, when the shepherds told her what they had been told about the baby's birth, the text says that she pondered all these things in her heart. The shepherds themselves didn't quite believe what they had seen in the sky over Bethlehem that night. And they turned to each other saying, did you see what I saw? Did you hear what I heard? Uh, Okay, well then let's go see this baby for ourselves. I think that is the wonder of any manger scene. It allows us to see for ourselves. It allows us to imagine ourselves in the story. It helps us to imagine the emotions and journeys of all involved. And as I have learned from the people who have shared their manger scenes on the altar during Advent and Christmas, these scenes really aren't inanimate objects. They are very animated and they are very alive in the histories and harmonies of the families who treasure them. They are stories within the story, wrapped in love, begging to be retold. And it is the story that we are given to tell. Whether you tell it around your family manger scene or share it at the office, in your neighborhood, through your service and in your relationships, it is the story that we are given to tell. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let us unite our voices in the Christmas affirmation of faith. I believe in Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel which began in Bethlehem. I believe in the one whose spirit glorified a small village, of whose coming the shepherds saw the sign, and for whom there was not room in the inn. I believe in the one whose life changed the course of history, for whom the kings of the earth had no power, and who was not understood by the proud. I believe in the one whom the poor, the oppressed, the discouraged, the afflicted, the sick, gave welcome and accepted as Lord and Savior. I believe in peace, reconciliation, forgiveness, and the transforming power of the gospel. I believe that Christmas is strength and power and that this world can change if with humility and with faith we kneel before the manger. I believe that I must be the first to do so. The song of the angels is stilled when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock. The of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken to feed the hungry to release the
are now going to join together in the singing of Silent Night. I invite you to dim the light in your households and to light the candles that you gathered up before the service began so that together we may sing by candlelight on this holy, wondrous night. Thank you. 
And now may you be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the Magi, and the peace of the Christ child. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forevermore. Amen.